A Twitter whistleblower testifies before senators. He's the company's former head of security. I'm reminded of one conversation with an executive when I said, I am confident that we have a foreign agent, and their response was, well, since we already have one, what does it matter if we have more? China, one of Twitter's largest revenue sources. We look at why Chinese Communist Party cadres use it for advertising, while normal citizens are forbidden from accessing it. U.S.-Taiwan relations getting an upgrade. A Senate bill is looking to boost support for the island amid tensions with Beijing. Beijing voicing support for Russia's war on Ukraine. Despite the public remark, it was left out of official meeting record. And a heartbroken father seeking justice for his one-year-old. He says the baby could have survived were it not for China's strict COVID-19 lockdown orders. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A whistleblower says a Chinese spy has been working for Twitter. When he told Twitter executives about the situation, they reportedly appeared unmoved. NTD's Jason Perry has more on the whistleblower's testimony before senators on Tuesday. What I discovered when I joined Twitter was that this enormously influential company was over a decade behind industry security standards. Peter Zatko, also known as Mudge, is the former head of security at Twitter. He testified that many Twitter employees had unnecessary access to users' personal information. And this kind of vulnerability is not in the abstract. It's not far-fetched to say that employee inside the company could take over the accounts of all of the senators in this room. Senator Chuck Grassley explained that it was more than just Twitter employees with such access. Because of Mudge's disclosures, we've learned that personal data from Twitter users was potentially exposed to foreign intelligence agencies. Senator Mike Lee wanted to know why Twitter hasn't done more to increase data security. I think they would like to, but they're simply unwilling to put the effort in at the cost of other uh, efforts such as driving revenue. Um, I'm reminded of one conversation with an executive when I said, I am confident that we have a foreign agent, and their response was, well, since we already have one, what does it matter if we have more? Let's keep growing the office. NTD received the following reply from Twitter. Twitter's hiring process is independent of any foreign influence, and access to data is managed through background checks and other measures. The Delaware judge overseeing the Elon Musk versus Twitter case ruled last week that Musk can include new evidence related to Zach Goh's allegations in the trial, which is set to start October 17th. Jason Perry, NTD News. Zatko also testified about an exchange with the current Twitter CEO about Russia. The CEO asked if it would be possible to punt content moderation and surveillance to the Russian government, and that since they have elections, doesn't that make them a democracy? Twitter is banned in China, but China is one of the social media company's largest revenue sources outside the U.S. This as the Chinese Communist Party allows local authorities to splurge on global advertising on the site. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more on Twitter's dealings with China and the concerns. 
Since 2020, Chinese authorities and propaganda offices have flocked to Twitter to buy ads, according to a Reuters review. The ads, often outsourced to Chinese state media, pitched local attractions and achievements to an international audience. Twitter bans political and state media advertising, but allowed these Chinese ads under an exemption. This as Chinese police have increased arrests of citizens who use Twitter to criticize authorities. Twitter whistleblower Peter Zatko's complaint alleges that Twitter execs knew that accepting Chinese money risked endangering users in China. But he says he was told that Twitter was too dependent on revenue from China to do anything other than try to increase it. Twitter denies the accusations. During the hearing, Zatko said employees were disturbed that despite being banned in China, the platform was accepting money from groups associated with the Chinese Communist Party. A comprehensive overhaul of U.S.-Taiwan policy. That's what one bill vows to do amid heightened threats from China. And today's Iris Tao has more on the Senate's latest move on the legislation. With strong bipartisan support, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on Wednesday approved a bill that its architects say could overhaul U.S. policy toward Taiwan. Called the Taiwan Policy Act, the bill in its current form would provide $4.5 billion in defense aid to the democratically ruled island. It would also designate Taiwan as a major non-NATO ally and rename Taiwan's de facto embassy in Washington. Here's Senator Kevin Kramer's take on it. We have to take strong measures to send strong signals to the leadership in China that we are not going to just sort of roll over or sit back, and, but rather take their aggression very seriously. While senators who sponsor the bill have said its goal is not to change U.S.-Taiwan policy, the White House has expressed concerns over the bill amid increasingly tense relations with Beijing. There are elements of that legislation with respect to how we can strengthen our security assistance for Taiwan that are quite uh, effective and robust that will improve Taiwan's security. There are other elements that give us some concern. And what would you say about concerns that it could hurt U.S.-China relations? Well, I think that the leadership in the, in China have already made you know made that um, a high priority. And that is, they've chosen to hurt the relationship. They've chosen to to be much more aggressive. We can't simply sit back and not be not respond. Meanwhile, the U.S. is reportedly weighing sanctions on China to deter it from a threatened invasion of the island. Meanwhile, the future of the Taiwan Policy Act is still uncertain. Upon passage in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, it still needs to pass the whole Senate, not to mention the fact that there's still not a companion bill to it in the House. But Congressman Steve Shabbat tells me that he's hopeful that's going to bring real changes. Well, we're glad that the senators are working on this right now. Um, I would like to see something in the House comparable to this. And, and I think it's, it's far uh, overdue that we do away with this strategic ambiguity. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. In Taiwan's latest effort to rally support, the island's de facto ambassador to the U.S., Xiaobi Kim, gathered dozens of international lawmakers amid tensions with Beijing. The unannounced meeting of about 60 legislators took place Tuesday in Washington, with members from Europe, Asia and Africa. According to Reuters, the group was expected to sign a pledge to push their governments to adopt greater deterrence against military or other coercive actions by Beijing against Taiwan. 
It read economic and political measures, including meaningful sanctions, should be considered to deter military escalation and to ensure trade and other exchanges with Taiwan can continue unimpeded. The draft added that their country's ties to Taiwan were not Beijing's to determine, and they would push to increase mutual visits by lawmakers. In response to the gathering, China said Wednesday that striving for Taiwanese independence and separatism was a dead end. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping has vowed to bring democratically governed Taiwan under Beijing's control. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine has heightened concerns that Beijing could try to take the island by force. Beijing has given its most explicit support to Russia's war in Ukraine so far, coming from China's number three official on a visit to Russia last Friday. We see that the United States and its NATO allies are expanding their presence near the Russian borders, seriously threatening national security and the lives of Russian citizens. We fully understand the necessity of all the measures taken by Russia aimed at protecting its key interests. We are providing our assistance. Li Zhanshu is the third highest-ranking official in the Communist Party. He visited Moscow last week and met with Putin. The speech marks a turn from Beijing's previous stance. Before, even though the regime avoided condemning Russia for invading Ukraine, no Chinese officials gave public endorsement. The regime also didn't admit that it was providing assistance. At the meeting, Li Jianshu went on to add, On the Ukrainian issue, we see how they have put Russia in an impossible situation. And in this case, Russia made an important choice and responded firmly. The official Chinese readout of the meeting gave no mention of Li's support. Chinese leader Xi Jinping is set to meet with Putin in Kazakhstan this Thursday. The Kremlin said the two would talk about the war in Ukraine. A grieving father suffers over the loss of his one-year-old child. He says the baby could have survived were it not for China's strict COVID-19 lockdown orders. NTD's Juliet Song has more on what happened. A father is seeking justice for his one-year-old son. The child died after failing to get emergency care under Chinese authorities' strict COVID-19 lockdown orders. The father is from Xinjiang, a region in northwestern China. His city has been put under lockdown for over a month because of local virus cases. Under those orders, residents are banned from leaving their homes. But one day last month, he found his son was falling ill. He called the emergency hotline. I was told no local hospital will accept patients right now, and the staffer asked me to contact the hospital by myself. The father called all local hospitals, but none of them were taking patients because of lockdown orders. At the time, my son was really in critical condition, so I rushed into a car in our local community with my son in my arms. But he died on the way to the hospital, and the hospital didn't even allow us in without a negative test for COVID-19. I tried to force my way into the hospital. But it was too late. Doctors told the father the child could have survived if they had arrived 10 minutes earlier. Following the baby's death, the father couldn't even find a place to temporarily store his son's body. Hospitals told him they didn't have morgues open. Funeral homes said they were under quarantine. The desperate father had to take his son directly to a crematorium. I was only allowed to see my son one last time after begging staffers at the crematorium. My son had medical gauze around his head. His eyes and mouth weren't completely shut. 
The crematorium told him they didn't even gather the ashes of the child because he was too small. The heartbroken father posted the story on social media, but in less than three minutes, local authorities told him to remove his post. The father is now calling for an investigation into those could be held responsible for his son's death. Juliet Song, NTD News. In southwest China, protests broke out Monday over lockdown orders in the city of Guiyang. Authorities there are imposing stricter health controls. But the prolonged lockdowns are getting worse, with residents complaining about a lack of food and supplies. As those complaints grow, a number of residents organized and tried to break down a barrier set up by police. But the police sent more control workers onto the scene. Locals said that later, authorities took control of their community the same night, unlocking residential buildings and stationing armed police to guard the gates to the area. Beyond that, another protest sparked after authorities went back on a promise to lift lockdown orders in Shenzhen City. Residents from the Chinese tech hub say they are fed up with what they describe as endless lockdowns. Some of them gathered early on Sunday, asking officials to remove the mandates. According to locals who participated, the crowd saw a turnout of around 20 to 30,000 people. One resident explained that an official noticed that the lockdown was set to lift on Saturday, but didn't. Video shows many in the crowd chanting, no lockdowns. To control the situation, authorities dispatched around 200 SWAT members, along with troops in camouflage and joint community defense workers. Authorities did not explain why they extended the city's lockdown. A local Chinese Communist Party leader went to the scene and said the lockdown may end after two more rounds of mass COVID-19 testing for locals. Coming up, a German official vows to fight blackmail from Beijing. The vice chancellor promised no more naivety when dealing with the Chinese Communist Party. And a closer look at the Iran nuclear deal. Is it primed to benefit China if it goes through? More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. German Vice Chancellor and Economy Minister Robert Habeck on Tuesday said Berlin should no longer be blackmailed by Beijing. He promised no more naivety in trade dealings with Beijing. Here's more. If China sticks to the rules that enable value-based trade, China is welcome as a trading partner. But we should no longer let ourselves be blackmailed. Not when China meddles with trade fairness, such as with state subsidies for companies, which gives them a competitive advantage. Or when it blackmails companies, telling them they can only participate in trade if, for example, they set up a production plant in a particular location. And especially not when human rights are involved. Germany's economy minister said the government was working on a new trade policy with China to reduce dependence on Chinese raw materials, batteries and semiconductors, promising no more naivety in trade dealings with Beijing. Robert Habeck did not outline new measures in full, but said they would include closer examination of Chinese investments. Chinese investments in Europe should be scrutinized much more closely. 
We have seen that with its Belt and Road Initiative, China is trying to secure strategic infrastructure assets in Europe, which will then allow it to influence European and German trade policies. We should not allow that to happen. As an example, Habeck signaled he was opposed to plans by China's Costco conglomerate to buy a stake in a container operator at Germany's Hamburg port. He said that China was a welcome trading partner, but Germany could not allow Beijing's protectionism to distort competition and would not hold back criticism of human rights violations under the threat of losing business. Habeck told Reuters Germany must open up to new trading partners and regions as many sectors were heavily dependent on selling to China, Germany's biggest trade partner for the past six years. As the Iran nuclear talks continue, many asking a major question. Would Beijing reap the benefits if a deal actually went through? According to a research institute called the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, a deal could very well benefit China. Entity's Don Ma brings us more. As the Iran nuclear talks continue, we're asking ourselves this question. How would China benefit if a deal actually went through? According to a research institute called the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, a deal could very well potentially benefit China. The two countries are pretty close. China is Iran's top trading partner. But at the same time, they're not that close. Ever since Iran was slapped with sanctions back in 2006, China has frequently been Iran's biggest export destination. Back in 2020, as you can see on this chart on my left, China bought over half of Iran's exports. The two countries also once in a while engage in joint military exercises. China has also given Iran military technology that Iran has even used against the U.S., specifically against U.S. troops in Iraq. China also purchases large amounts of oil from Iran, which is a blatant violation of sanctions, though this has been slowing down in recent years. According to official numbers, China's purchases are kind of helping Iran stay alive. As you can see on my left, purchases fell drastically in 2016 and remained low, which analysts attribute to Trump's foreign policy. But still, the two countries aren't exactly the best of friends. While China is close to Iran, it's even closer to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. These two countries are Iran's enemies. China's relationship with Iran is maintained through ambassadors. But in comparison, China has a much higher level coordination with Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Beijing also trades with them way more. But the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies believes China's relationship with Iran could all change if there's a new nuclear deal. It'll change for the better. It believes the deal will have the two countries become better friends and both will benefit from that. For more insight, we talked with REA Lightstone. He's a former special envoy for the Abraham Accords. The Abraham Accords is a peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. China will gain enormously. Part of the deal will be a $250 billion uh, or more uh, release of sanctions and, and equity flowing into the country. I would assume that at least half of that is going to wind up going to Chinese entities. Uh, they will purchase Chinese military equipment. They will participate in Chinese technology. They will go ahead and bolster this Russia, China, Iran tripod 
that will create this incredible force in the region, which will be multiplied by a nuclear umbrella, which they will be on the glide path to getting. Lightstone says Iran, China, and Russia could become a very powerful nuclear force in the region. Here he is again. It's Iran becoming independent economic power that is connected deeply with China. That makes China that much more stronger. And unfortunately for the rest of the world, it also makes Iran that much more stronger. And now here's an example of how cooperation could potentially increase the China National Petroleum Company previously declined to develop natural gas in Iran's South Pars field because of U.S. sanctions. But if a deal goes through, China then is likely to help Iran develop it. The South Pars field is the world's largest by far, has 34,000 cubic kilometers of recoverable reserves. The second largest natural gas reserve is in Uengui, Russia, which, as you can see on this chart here, is far smaller. China could also get more access to Iran's steel, gold, and aluminum sectors. These minerals, of course, are used in numerous goods that are crucial to any economy. And for in-depth information on this, we talked with Si Hung Kim, the director of the Captive Nations Coalition of the Committee on the Present Danger China. The CCP uh, wants essentially uh, to be the um, the mineral master uh, within within Iran and being being able to uh, you know extract any amount of resources that they want. Iran says it has a wide diversity of minerals, claims to have 68 types. Also has 37 billion tons of proven reserves and more than 57 billion tons of potential reserves. Iran could also let China build up its telecommunications infrastructure, and this could possibly allow China to install surveillance technology all over the country, which China has already done with a few other countries. Just in time for the annual Mid-Autumn Festival, some people in China are being greeted by starvation. They blame the issue on the country's COVID-19-driven lockdowns. Let's take a look. Over the weekend, the Chinese Communist regime reported new COVID-19 cases and plunged more districts into lockdown. Many Chinese citizens are now struggling to find food, largely because of disruptions to supply chains caused by the regime's repeated city and transportation shutdown. A video circulating online shows a woman in Guiyang City kneeling on the ground the night before the mid-autumn festival holiday, begging workers who transport food for more. Please have some mercy on us. I'm begging you. Our community had the elderly, children, and pregnant mothers. Otherwise, there will be not holiday. In fact, there will be no tomorrow. Another video shows a girl who fainted after reportedly going without food for several days. Considering the lack of food for residents, animals in the nearby Guizhou Wildlife Park are also going hungry. The park issued an urgent appeal asking people across the country to help purchase food supplies. It's to keep their endangered animals, including Serbian white benegal and South China tigers and pandas, from starving to death. Over in Xinjiang, Yili Prefecture has been under lockdown since July. Many local residents have been out of food for days. Ms. Lin, a resident of the area, told the Epoch Times that they have not received supplies from officials despite many donations. She said 
They were all taken by the CCP's community office and sold to the locals at very high prices. How many families can afford the high-priced vegetables? Many of them haven't been paid any wages for more than a month. She added that no one dares to share this kind of news on social media because they would just be censored. People in China have been suffering under the regime's strict zero-COVID-19 policy. The nation has pursued the relentless enforcement of quarantines and lockdowns to fully eradicate the virus, as virtually all other countries return to normal life. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Thanks for watching. But before you go, here's a short glimpse into this Thursday's special report. World players all vying for control of the Arctic. At stake, billions in resources and strategic holdings for us and our foes. In this special report, we look at the latest geopolitical flashpoint to arrive on the world stage. Why control of the Arctic is so contested and what it means for Americans if we fail.